Hey, want to welcome everybody to Rockbridge Community Church. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. And if you're in one of our six physical locations, or you might also be uh, uh, watching us online, we're glad that you're here. If you're watching online, just throw in the comment section where you're watching from, and are you watching on your phone, your computer, your TV, and our online pastor, somebody would like to say hello to you, perhaps. So uh, thank you for being here. It's a great time to be here. We're in the wake of uh, our first ever marriage conference. We're starting a this weekend, we're starting a new sermon series. If you're new to Rockbridge, we kind of package all our teaching around a common passage and or a common theme that we face in life and or that we find in Scripture. And today, we're going to just talk about the bottom line. We're going to talk about what the bottom line is in regards to Christianity, what the bottom line is in, in regards what it means to have the life of Christ. And we say in our mission statement that we exist to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life. So that's everybody here, everybody engaged online from all walks of life to life in Christ. And so we're going to talk about the bottom line of how that shows up in our life. Now, let me set this up this way because there's going to be a tension and there's going to be some things that we got to break through together this weekend, all right? So, so you've heard people say, man, I, you, I, I believe in God. And because we're in church, I, I would guess that the vast majority of you believe in God. Some of you may not, and you're certainly welcome here, and we appreciate and value and want to help you with any questions that you have about the God that we worship and that we're talking and teaching about. So, but we, you say, hey, I believe in God, but there's a difference, and this is where we've got we've to lean in. There's a difference between saying, I believe in God and saying, I believe God. So when God, you know, through his word or through his revelation says for us to do something or not to do something or explains why certain things happen and we form that into like theology or doctrine or uh, help us understand the world in which we live in, we might not actually believe God. We may not believe God when it comes to money or when it comes to how we should do relationships uh, we may not believe God when it comes to, you know, the, the notion, the idea of evil in the world. So there's a difference between believing in God and I believe God. And we're going to work on believe God in one area of our walk, which is the bottom line. Now, so there's a battlefield, though, for this belief. There's a battlefield for this believe God. If you go all the way back... Genesis 1, our first ancestors, wasn't a battle of, does God exist? Wasn't a battle of, hey, do you believe in God or not? Everybody in the story, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you got you know, Satan, the tempter, the deceiver, and Adam and Eve. Everybody there believed in God. He just said, did God really say? He said, do you really believe God? when it comes to what you should and should not do with your life. And I would suggest that's our main battle, is this battle of belief, believe God, or unbelief. I don't believe God in this arena. We see this show up in Scripture all the time. We've got a guy whose son is suffering from a disease, and he asked Jesus, he asked Jesus' his disciples first, and he asked Jesus to heal him, and look at the interaction. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes, not believes in God, but believes God. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, and this is like my prayer. I pray this prayer all the time over my own self, and I'm praying it for us. I do believe, I do believe God, help my unbelief. 
help my unbelief. And so that's really our prayer as we navigate forward. Now, let me show you the battle lines. Let me show you the battle plan. Let me show you how belief and unbelief happens for you and I, okay? And it comes out of a pretty famous passage of Scripture that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, For although we live in the flesh, human beings, sinners by birth, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. The stronghold is an area of your life where you have just a pattern, a habit, a lock of unbelief. It's an area, a pattern of your life where faith in God, believing God, is not operable. So notice now what Paul's going to say. So we've got to demolish areas of unbelief. And how do they form? We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And then we take captive every thought or we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So your flesh and Satan, Satan, the enemy of, of, of God, and my humanity, my fallen, broken humanity, make an argument. And, and it's an argument against believing God. So my f- flesh may say, God can't forgive me. That's an argument. My flesh might say, God can't use someone like me. That's an argument. The world might say, hey, it's your money, your body. You do what you want with it. That's an argument. All right, Satan may come along with a spirit of condemnation or a spirit of deception. Did God really say that? Do you really think God can love someone like you? Do you really think you can be forgiven? Are you really sure about this whole heaven hell thing? So just make arguments. And then when we agree with those arguments, they start to form strongholds of unbelief in our lives. Now the antidote, this is all setting up the battle that we're going to talk about when we get to the bottom line. The the antidote is this, everyone who has been born of God conquers the world with its arguments, right? This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Our faith is when we not believe in God, but we believe God. So victory that comes in this battle I'm talking about, victory comes through faith. How do we get faith? Well, faith comes from hearing, what you're doing right now, hearing comes from the message of, or the hearing by the word of Christ. So God's word comes to us that counteracts an argument, and we either agree with the argument from our flesh and from our enemy or the world or Satan, or we agree with the truth that comes from Christ, the word of Christ. And then Jesus says it this way, if you continue in my word, remember faith comes from hearing his word, you are really my disciples, you're really my students, you're learning how to live your life Uh, as I would live it. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, free from the argument, free from the stronghold. So that's the path. Faith would just be this, taking God at his word and acting accordingly, agreeing with God's word and acting accordingly. So let's look at it this way to help us understand, just to lay this out, okay? So you have, God wants you in Christ, God wants you in his son. He's, he's gone to great lengths. He's died for you. He's died instead of you. He invites us to be in Christ. That preposition itself is over like 150 times in the whole New Testament that we're in Christ. We're in him. It's repeated repetitively, right? So what happens is an argument is made that is opposite of or outside of what it means to be positionally and practically in Christ. The argument of 
You can't, God doesn't love you. God can't use you. It's your money, not God's money. You don't need organized religion. You don't need to come to church. Uh, you know, arguments about sex, arguments about power, arguments about what it means to be great, arguments about who you are and what your identity is. Are you what you do? Are you what people say about you? Are you what you have or are you who God says you are? Arguments, arguments. When we agree with an argument, we take some kind of action. If we habitually take that action, it becomes a stronghold. It becomes a stronghold. Now, we think of strongholds as addictions. We think, hey, I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to alcohol, right? I, I got to always have a girlfriend. I'm addicted to social media. All that can be a stronghold. But a stronghold is just any area where consistent, persistent unbelief, I don't believe God in this area, becomes a stronghold outside of the will of God, outside of in Christ. So, the solution that we've seen is when you hear an argument, you take it captive to the word of Christ, the teachings of Christ, and the truth sets you free from this. And you begin to think thoughts and believe in acting according to truth, which keeps us in the realm of in Christ. And we say at Rockbridge, being in Christ is the only way to die and the best way to live, Okay. So that's, that's, the, that's the battle plan. Now we're going to talk about a specific battle, and it's the battle for the bottom line. Now, you, you, if you run a business, you, if, if you check your banking account, your savings account, you kind of know what the bottom line is. It's the end of the day profit or loss of your company. If we say that as a metaphor or idiomatically, the bottom line is, hey, this is the crucial result. This is the end of the day thing, right? In the military, sometimes they give orders called the bottom line up front or the bluff. It's where the boss or the commander or the captain says, that they, hey, this is what has to be accomplished at the end of the day. It's the bottom line. So what we're going to talk about is there is a bottom line of the Christian faith of what God is looking for in his people, in his disciples, what God is wooing us to, trying to transform us, and there is a battle for that bottom line. So to understand what the bottom line is, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture you may have heard about or you may have heard at a wedding. You thought it was a poem. It's actually Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to actually hang out in this passage for the next several weeks of this series as we talk through this bottom line concept. So here we go. Now, we're going, to end, we're going to pick up where chapter 12 leaves off. Remember, in the original Bible, there were no chapters and verses. It's all organized in, in thought patterns and, and common themes. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm going to show you an even better way. And he's writing this. So let's just put context on it. He's writing this to a church that is divided. I mean, they've got all these spiritual gifts and people prophesying and speaking in tongues, yet they fight and argue and withhold the Lord's Supper from people. Yeah, this church is divided about who baptized them. And, they, you know, are you better because you got baptized by this guy or you got baptized by that guy? So this church is just divided. It's got sin in it. But there's a lot of, you know, amazing things happening in the church as well. And so into this, Paul says, I'm going to show you a better way. And he gives the bottom line. Here's what he says. If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I just make noise without purpose. I'm, an, I, I, I'm like an orchestra without sheet music and a conductor. It doesn't sound right, okay? I'm gifted, but it doesn't come across right. It's not received properly. 
Because if I, if I don't have love, I'm that noisy gong, that clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So he says, if, you're, if you can speak like Billy Graham, if you don't love people, you're nothing. You can have all these spiritual gifts and all these things. You're not, you, can, you can believe in God and have this knowledge of God. But if you're not loving, Paul says nothing, useless. He goes on, he says, and if I give away all my possessions, if I'm so generous and just give away and give away, and if I give over my body, so if I'm a martyr, if I am killed because I believe in God, right, in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So, you know, we might look at someone and say, man, that person is super spiritual. That person is so religious because they're the pastor. But if I don't have love, what am I? Nothing. We might look at someone and say, man, they are so generous. They give all this money to the church. They give all this money to the poor. They help orphans. They're, they help compassion kids in Africa. But if there's not love behind it and driving it, what does Paul say? There's nothing. Man, I, if you speak in the tongues of angels, and everybody, oh, man, they're so spiritual. Look what they're doing. But they don't have love. They're nothing. Now, why does he say that? Because love is the bottom line. If there's one thing that God says through his word that we need to understand, need to get right, if there's one thing at the end of the day that needs to be coming out of our lives, it's love. It is the bottom line for the Christ follower. Excuse me. And, and Jesus supports this. Jesus says this in John's gospel. He says, I give you a new command. It says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, and that's what kind of makes it a new command, because it's just as I have loved you. He doesn't say love one another the way the world has loved you, because we talked about last week that worldly love is conditional love. He doesn't say love one another the way, you know, he loved you or they were supposed, as I, Jesus has loved you. And he says, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Now, what is this? By your Bible knowledge, by your church attendance, by the prayers you pray, by the tongues you speak in, by the faith you have. No, by the love you give to one another, that is, if I have the love that is, I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are my students, my apprentices, my disciples, if you love one another. So let's just kind of take that and, and, and make it into a statement, okay? So here, here's the bottom line. If the, lo the love as the bottom line is received and experienced first. So, so don't listen to me. It, you don't, not, before we all, you know, oh, I'm not loving, I'm not loving, stop. We have to receive it and experience it first. We see that in what Jesus just told us. As I have loved you, to speaking to his disciples. So we have to receive and experience the love of God first. We talked about that last week. And it, then it is learned. We're disciples. Disciples have to learn. Disciples don't show up on the first day of class and know how to do a calculus problem. That's all a calculus class, right? They learn. Christians don't just show up and like, man, I'm just ready. I'm perfect. No, no, no. There's a learning process. That's what we're doing here when we gather in corporate worship. That's what we do when we get in our D groups or our Bible studies or our small groups. That's what we do at the marriage conferences. We're learning how to live life the way God intended us for live, to live life, which 
is the best way to live and the only way to die in Christ. So it's then learned and it's put into action. It shows up. Now, here's the problem. Here's the battle. Here's the challenge. Satan and our flesh make arguments against the bottom line. Satan and our flesh will give us reasons not to love as Christ has loved. Satan and our flesh will give us excuses that feel good, that sound good, to not love the way Jesus has loved or against this bottom line. We'll put something else altogether as the bottom line. Or, or, or we'll put something else besides the love as Jesus has loved as the bottom line. So, so in the church at Corinth, let's go back and meet our first century fr- friends. In the church at Corinth, there's four things in broad categories that Paul is saying, hey, these are not arguments that you need to fall for. Because, you know, they, hey, I'm serving in my spiritual gifts, so I'm a great Christian. And Paul's like, not if you're not doing it from love. So they could say, and if you look, read through all of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you'll see all these things in operation in the church there. It's like Paul's picking them out and just saying, hey, if you get serving right, hey, look at me, I'm serving in the church, but there's no love. Paul said, That's, you can't use that argument. You've got to have love. And then that's like, what if I have great knowledge or great understanding of God, of prophecy? But if you don't have love, that argument doesn't hold water. Love as I have loved you. Uh, believing. Man, I, I'm believing, right? And, it, and it's sort of like in one commentary I read, it's like when James says, hey, faith without works, works being uh, the overflow of the love that comes from faith, then, that, then it's useless. So yeah, you can have all this belief, believe in God, but if there's no love, that argument doesn't hold water. Man, I, I'm, I'm giving. I'm a generous person. I even give when it hurts. I even give more than I think I can. It's sacrificial, right? But if there's not love behind it, that's not an argument. that You're not loving. And so Paul's just kind of demolishing those things, those categories. And, and here's where we need to meet ourselves in the text, Okay. Most of us have defined love in a way that puts limits on love. Most of us, myself included, have defined love in a way that puts limits on love. And we get those limits or we come to those definitions through the arguments of our flesh and or the arguments of Satan and the world system that we live in. And that's our definition of love. And it limits love. It's not love as Jesus has loved us. So if we come to our circle, (coughs) again, in Christ, bottom line is we're going to love as Christ has loved us. That's the love we're going to give to not just our spouses, not just our kids, but to the world. We'll see that in a second. But what happens is an argument is made. Something is made that's like, man, they did you wrong. So you have every right to be bitter. You have every right to dog them out on social media because they did you wrong. And then we agree with that argument, and then what do we do? We dog them out. Then we go to the Gospels. When does Jesus ever dog somebody out? Other than the religious leaders who were very unloving and had hard hearts. Just don't see it. or, or, Or we're like, you know what? It, we, 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 <coughs> or an argument comes at us that, say, that says, you know what? Uh, here's what love does. Love provides for their family. 
and, and, I, and I work hard, and I make money, and I put food on the table, and I am the most loving father there is. Meanwhile, our, our kids are starved for conversation or attention or, or, or the love, of, the true love of a mother and or a father. But we've believed in argument that love is material blessing to our children. And we're operating outside of, apart from Christ. All right? So, so we, we, we believe this argument, right? And there's action, there's a stronghold, okay? So there's two categories of, of argument that begin to keep love from operating. Two big categories. One, who we are to love and how we actually love. A lot of people, a lot of people say, well, I'm very loving to my children or I'm very loving to my spouse, at least the way I think of love, right? You know, if we get to define love. And then we also put an argument of how we're actually love. Like this is what love is. And we, we're kind of giving some examples of that. And then we have, what do we have to do? We have to take the words of Christ or the truth or the message of Scripture. We have to take all of those things, right? And we have to take the, the arguments captive. So let's talk about who we are to love. When Jesus says, you are to love as I have loved, who is he talking about? Is he talking, like when we read 1 Corinthians 13, is that only for married couples at weddings? So, so who, who actually are we supposed to love the way we've been loved? Well, the argument in our mind is that love goes to my closest friends, that love goes to maybe people I agree with politically and my tribe and my faction, that people goes to people my race, maybe that, maybe, maybe that kind of love is reserved just for the people around my dinner table. And so we have that argument. Say, so, man, I lo I'm loving the people in my life. And then Jesus comes along and we got to take that thought captive because Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be or you may be shown to be children of your Father in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors, notorious sinners in other words, do the same. So, so the who for Jesus is not the people you agree with politically. The who for Jesus is not the people who are just like you in terms of economic status, college or no college, same color skin. The who for Jesus is not the people at work that you get along with versus the other people over there that you wish would get fired or move somewhere else, right? The who for Jesus is even the people who do you dirty, even the people who do you wrong. That's the who for Jesus, so you see, though, how we present an argument that becomes a stronghold, and thus we're not loving like Jesus? Because you know what, what God would classify anybody that is not in Christ, anybody that is still stuck in their sin, anybody has not asked Jesus to be their forgiver, their Savior, their Lord, and their King, you're to God's enemy, you're a traitor, and you need his forgiveness. You need to receive his love that will redeem you, adopt you, and then make you a son and a or a daughter. So, he said, so God loved his enemies. Jesus loved his enemies. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is when Judas comes to, to sell Jesus out. And when Jesus goes up to him, he says, friend, do what you've come to do. He calls him friend. Love your enemies. So argument number one is, well, who are we supposed to love? And Jesus' definition is as broad as it can be. How are we supposed to love? Most of us will limit our how. And that's where the rest of First Corinthians, this train of thought in 1 Corinthians 13 comes into play. Because here, here, here's what it says. He says, 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love finds no joy, but rejoices in the truth. It, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, that sounds really good at a wedding ceremony. It doesn't always sound good at Monday morning at work. It doesn't always sound good once you get past the honeymoon phase of your marriage, right? And, and, and just to kind of illustrate the, the, the level of, of, of truth that Jesus is presenting, here's what I, I would suggest. Where everywhere it says love or a pronoun for love, put your name. Matt is patient. Matt is kind. I'm already convicted, <laughs> right? Matt does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Matt is not irritable, convicted. Matt does not keep a record of wrong. Matt finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Matt, uh, Matt bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Matt's love never ends. And at that moment, I realized, man, I've been believing some arguments. And we're going we're gonna to unpack this more in the weeks to come. But when I get irritable at someone, the argument is they deserve it, right? When I get rude with someone, the argument is, well, they don't know what kind of day I've had. I'm justified. No, I'm believing an argument that is against the knowledge of Christ. Find me one example where Jesus is rude or irritable. So we got to take those thoughts, what? Captive and bring them back to Christ. So, Let's talk a little bit about strongholds that probably exist in many of us that are watching, listening, present in our six locations, strongholds. The first one is what I'll call the belief plateau. You may believe God, but in many areas of your life, you believe God when God talks about getting baptized, or you believe God when God talks about not killing anybody. You believe God when, when, when God says there's a heaven and, and you want to go there, right? When, when your physical tent, your physical body wears out. So, so all of us have the, maybe areas where we believe God and it, we're, the, te- the temptation, the stronghold is we just stop. And we tolerate areas of unbelief. We tolerate areas where we don't believe God. And we cease to be disciples of Jesus in those areas, and we stop growing. And I think there's probably a belief plateau around the area of love. I I don't think the events of the last two or three years in our nation have shown the Christian church in America to be very loving. I, I, I don't know that my response to people that were critical of me personally or even my response sometimes to my wife or my kids, I don't believe uh, that I'm operating in Christ in those areas. There's a belief plateau, and I'm a professional Christian, right? So I, and we got to own that and, and be aware of that. 
And that becomes a stronghold because remember what a stronghold is. It's just an area of unbelief that persists. It's not a one-night oops. It's not a, you know, oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. Will you please forgive me? It's I constantly say that with a spirit of rudeness or irritability or whatever the case may be. So, so that's the stronghold. The second stronghold is this, and this may be some of you, where we shrink our belief to the extent of our experience rather than elevating belief to the extent of God's word. Now, let me explain how that. Some of you in here have been undoubtedly hurt in the name of love or by someone who you thought loved you. And, 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 and or, you know, you watch the Hallmark movies or you watch, you know, the Hollywood version of love and we shrink love down to that. Okay? That experience. Love hurts. Love lets you down. I'm not loving. We shrink it down to our experience instead of elevating our belief to the scope, the extent of God's word. And what has God's word said? God's word says Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's word says love your enemies. But my enemies don't love me. Am I not not right to want revenge? Am I not right to want to put them in their place? Am I not right in all those things? And we are just shrinking our belief to the level of experience. So so we come back to this, right? So we're, we're all faced with arguments from the world, from our own sin nature in our flesh. Arguments about why we don't have to love as Jesus has loved. And we have to take those captive and come into Christ. Now, there's something unique and interesting about 1 Corinthians 13, at least the first three verses. Paul uses the first person singular. If I have not love, I am nothing. So he's talking about, and Paul had all of those things. Paul spoke in tongues. Paul had spiritual gifts. Paul had incredible knowledge. Paul actually died a sacrificial death as a martyr. So you would look at Paul and, man, God, he preaches. He's planting churches. He's generous. He's knowledgeable. Man, he's a perfect Christian. And Paul says, if I don't have love, no, I'm not. And so the question becomes, how did Paul, how did Paul love? How did Paul learn to love? How did Paul operate in this spirit of love? And you, you get some insights when you flip over into, into another Corinthian book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, for the love of Christ compels us. Now, before I read on, he, other translations say the love of Christ controls us. So, so what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is, I'm in Christ and I am controlled by his love. I, what, what, what comes out of me is, all, is it generally a response to the love of Christ in me that I've experienced, that I've learned, that I've tasted. So Paul says, the love of Christ compels or controls me since we have reached this conclusion. Here's how Paul understood and was gripped by the love of Christ. That one died for all, that's Jesus And then, therefore, all died. So Jesus died as my substitute. Jesus died instead of me. The the bad me, the dead me, the sinful me, I died with Christ. And 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 he died for all so that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but the one who died for them and was raised. And so if we come back, there's an argument, and the argument always goes like this when you withhold love. Live for you, live for me, myself, and I. That's the big argument, right? It boils down to you, deserve, you don't have to give them that kind of love. They don't deserve it. You're in a bad mood. And the argument goes there. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. Because Christ died for me, died instead of me. The selfish part of me that's arguing against loving other people the way Christ has loved me, that selfish part of me died too. And I don't live for that part. I live for Christ. And he takes those thoughts captive. So he's controlled by the love of Christ. That's transformational. Not controlled by what they said to me on social media. I'm not controlled by how I hear my politicians talking about the other side. I'm not controlled by what they think of me. I'm not controlled by my flesh. I'm controlled by the love of Christ. Game changer, right? So, so let's summarize, okay? We are nothing without love, but Jesus does nothing without love. And so when I let Jesus love me, I begin to learn the kind of love I'm supposed to love everyone with. So come back to 1 Corinthians, right? And remember I put my name in here, conviction, conviction. Now put Jesus' name. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He's not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not self-seeking, not irritable. Jesus does not keep a record of wrongs. He died for my record of wrongs. It was nailed to the cross with him. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus' love never ends. And, and, and so when I read that, you know what happened? When I read it and put my name in there, there's conviction. When I read it and put Jesus' name in there, there's worship. And there's awe. And there's gratitude. And there's thankfulness. So summarize. Love is something we do. Because of who we become and who we are becoming as we are loved by Jesus and learn from him. I'm going to read that one more time. Love is something we do. It's an action. So some of you right now got to take an argument that, oh, love's a feeling. No, it ain't. No, it's not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's an act, but it's action. These are all action verbs, four through seven. So love is something we do. Because of who we become, sons and daughters of the King Most High, who died so we could be sons and daughters of the King Most High. Who we become and who we are becoming, we're disciples, we're students, we're learners of Jesus, as we are loved by Jesus and learn from him. So let me present a path forward, and then we'll have a special prayer time led by all of our campus venue pastors and our online pastor for all six of our locations and our digital world. First one is this. Let's just believe God and his bottom line. Undoubtedly, there's some of us, when we read this, we're like, no, 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 the bottom line is the things I do well. <laughs> Undoubtedly, that's where my, my, you know, I go, I, I do this really well. God, I do quiet times really well. Can that not be the bottom line? Sorry, the word of God's got to win. 
So let's just believe God. It doesn't matter where you are, you know, Christian, non-Christian, growing Christian. Man, I'm, I'm a backslider, but I'm back. First, it's got to start with belief. I'm going to believe God today, and his bottom line is to love as Jesus has loved. Then we need to, when it's necessary, got to be confession and repentance. Confession, I agree with God. I don't agree with the arguments that I've been living by based on love. I agree with God. That's confession. Repentance, I am going to begin to change my thinking, change my behaving in line with the, the words of Christ, the message of Christ. And then this is the, this is the only thing that I'm just going to ask, and then the rest of the series is going to help us with this, okay? This is the only thing I'm going to ask, okay? doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter how, you know, if you think you're very loving, unloving, doesn't matter. Remember, remember who, who, who keeps no record of wrongs. Remember who, where we get perfect love. There's no perfect love in this room other than the love of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit who's showing us the love of Jesus. Here, here's the question, and we'll pray. Would you today, not, not, not talking about yesterday, not talking about your first marriage, not talking about what you did the other day, not talking about what you posted, that, that, that Facebook post, not talking about any of that. If you need to confess and repent that, you can do that. But today, would you today, Become a disciple, a student, an apprentice of Jesus in the area of love. And I, and I mean, I, I did not, that was not in my notes until this afternoon. And I was convicted. Because I've been a disciple of Jesus in learning the Word of God, leadership. God, where do I go to college? <laughs> God, planting rock bridge. I mean, all of that stuff, disciple of Jesus. But I was like, Jesus, have I just ever sat down in front of you and just in humbleness said, Jesus, I want you to teach me how to love as you loved. And sadly, church, my answer was no, or certainly not consistently. So today, would you just become a disciple of Jesus in the area of love? And let's just watch with humble, open hearts what God does in us and through us over the next several weeks together. Now, at all our campuses, all our locations, and in our online pastor as well, they're going to come now and just lead us in a special time of prayer. I need this time of prayer. I believe we need this time of prayer because we need God's help as we capture God's heart for his people because love is the bottom line.